Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker, and you're listening to another episode of Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. And on the show today, we have another really fabulous and really interesting guest, the incredible Sally Mann Romano, a woman who was basically at the epicenter of all things that were cool on the West Coast in the 60s and the early 70s. She was one of those people that, as I say in the show, she's been everywhere and she's done everything. She was married to the late, great Spencer Dryden, the drummer for the Jefferson Airplane and also for the New Riders of the Purple Sage. She had lots of experiences with the Grateful Dead, the Airplane, obviously, so many of the San Francisco groups, and heading down south with groups like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and... Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. So it's just a wild trip, and she's written a book that's called The Bands With Me, Tour 1964 to 1975, and it's an all-access pass to an all-excess period, a period of wonderful, fabulous excess. It's absolutely recommended reading. You can pick it up wherever you find your books. And what we have here is the first part of a two-part extravaganza. And I think you're going to agree with me when I say it's one of the best and most interesting interviews we've ever done. But for now, here is part one of our interview with Sally Mann Romano talking the Jefferson Airplane, so much more. And oh yeah, Woodstock too, right here on Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. If you say something derogatory about somebody, We'll probably take that out as well. Because we have you read to... my book? No. I start. I'm start. I just started. <laughs> the whole book is derogatory about. Somebody. Well, if, if there, if there's no, I'm, living, I'm joking. It's actually It's not derogatory about most people. You know, okay. the only person it's really derogatory about is David Crosby, and he's changed so much that it's. You know, I had to. You know, re- give him a. a Hat tip in the acknowledgments that he's no longer the you know the worst asshole I'd ever lived. Well, given he's currently fighting with both Neil Young and Graham Nash, it's up for debate what whether he's an asshole or not. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of buried the hatchet with most folks, though. You know, right? He's just an he's just an entirely different person now. Why is that? Getting, getting beat into the ground, you know, by life will do that to you. Why has he changed since you mentioned that? I'm curious. Well, he's just, you know, he's just uh, kinder, uh, right. more tolerant. I mean, he, I mean, you know, he just, when he was young, he really was just a total asshole. I mean, yeah, he was yeah. rude, um, inconsiderate, um, and he was also an absolute star fucker. I mean, he just absolutely... You know, it's it it's hard to it's hard to describe, but he he uh, he just had a lot of really unattractive attributes. Um, yeah. But he's just not like that anymore. You know, I mean, he's just um, really come full circle. I mean, you know, people get sober and and all that yeah. that behavior kind of slips away if they do the work. You know. Yeah, he 
he has quite a reputation. I'm I'm glad to hear he's he's mellowed out. I mean, he's a fa- he's a fantastic human being now. I mean, he he yeah. just um, I mean, he's playing and so much and people. You know, the uh, the most amazing thing about David is after all he has been through and you know where he's where he's been and what has happened to him and um, things he's done to himself. His that absolute angelic voice has not suffered one iota and you think of yeah. all these other singers in their 70s and 80s who've lost their voice and david still has that absolute crystal pure voice it's just yes. amazing yeah. it's just amazing and um i you know he's just um i mean i can't even believe i'm saying that he's just a really nice guy now you know oh he's, yeah he's just yeah different. he he's uh i mean he's, I'm with... not, he's not he still states his opinion and I mean, yeah. if you oh, yeah. go on Twitter, and, oh, yeah. you know, he's hilarious on Twitter. He's like the fool on the hill. You know, right. he, he's got <laughs> full of opinions, but they're his opinions, and he's not really um, behaving badly. It's just a lot different to say something that's kind of halfway silly and funny about somebody yeah. than it is to just treat them rudely, you know. Yeah. It's, it's not the same thing. Yeah, he's definitely an amazing talent. He always has been, but. You know, I with what you and said. I mean, he's just really he's just working his ass off. I mean, it's he's so prolific right now. It's just amazing to me. He's yeah. Out, I mean, I know he has to do that. He he went through um, you know, the thing that you know, streaming is just killing everybody, and especially right. people like him. And he went through you know, not too long ago, a, a, you know, a rough time financially where they're worried they have a beautiful home and you know, worried whether he's going to live his house and lose his house and have enough money to live on until he died, you know. Um, and, but he uh, sold his catalog. So um, he's, you know, he's he's okay now. But, um, you know, he. so what my point was, that's why he was out there playing so many gigs and everything he was playing. I mean, that's not the only reason, but, um, you know, it, it. he had to play live because he's not making any money off streaming, you know. Yeah. Yeah, nobody is. <laughs> it's awful. It's really a bummer. So, but I alluded to it earlier. You were born in Texas, correct? Right. And you moved when? You moved at a young age from there, correct? I went, um, first I went away um, uh, to the University of Texas. I, I went to Austin when I was um, 17 to go to UT. and. Yeah. You know, it was just too much happening. And so I took off to California uh, before the end of that first year, or at the end of that first year. I was still mm-hmm. underage. I w- went to um, L.A. first, to Los Angeles, to Hollywood. And at what point did you meet the late Spencer Dryden? Um, I got to, let me just think about it. I got to um, L.A., would have been 1965 because um, I was still 17, and then I don't think I don't think we met till either late 67 or 68. Yeah, because I moved. Uh, uh, what happened was, you know, I mean, a lot of things happened, but um, in 1967, I became affiliated with James Gurley from Big Brother, oh, and yeah. I, that's when I and that's when I moved to San Francisco. And so it was, um, you know, not not a real long time after I moved to San Francisco that I met Spencer. And so that would have been 
67 or early 68. Yeah, I met him at a book signing in Haight-Ashbury in the summer of 2003. Spencer Dryden, I'm talking about, nicest guy in the world. Really super nice. Oh, he is, nice absolutely. Guy. He's got the manners of a English lord, you know. Oh, <laughs> he I just, know. He's, he's really, a, really a, a very, yeah, you're not going to find too many people to talk trash about Spencer, you know. Oh, yeah. I will a little bit, but <laughs> he's really, he, uh, but on, uh, but, you know, he's just the kindest, most considerate person, you know, to, to people that he meets, you know, and yeah. the fans and, you know, um, you know, other musicians and, and things like that. He's just a good person. Yeah, he was humbled that I flew from Atlanta to San Francisco to meet him. He's like, no, you didn't. I said, do I sound like I'm from San Francisco? <laughs> wow, that is a trip, yeah. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he was. When was that? Uh, the summer of 2003. He did a book signing that Jeff Tamarkin, or Tamarkin, however you pronounce it, wrote a book, and he was like one of the guests. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Cool. And Marty ba- Marty Ballin's dad showed up, Mr. Buckwald. Oh, my God, the- he is a trip. He was a yeah. trip, man. There, there were some other people that showed up, but... Sally, I was absolutely... I was actually reading the book again this morning, and uh, I was absolutely fascinated by... Um, you're one of those people who has been everywhere and done everything, so that... <laughs> So, so that there's nothing left for anybody else to do because it would not be nearly as interesting as what you did. So. They better not even try. I, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that, because um, I work for the estate of Frank Zappa. And oh, yeah. I, yeah, I do their podcasting. That's, and stuff. A, that's a non-controversial uh, area. <laughs> Jesus, God, I can't even believe that, man. I mean, his whole thing went to went haywire after he died. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah. They, you know, it's kind of a tragedy, really, because those. No kidding. It's just awful. He would be just absolutely furious. You know, it just, it's, I mean, you know, he could find the humor in almost anything, but I don't think he'd find that very funny, you know. No, it, it's like that. You know, this is what money does to people. You know, take yeah, for, I agree. For I mean, perfectly normal, you know, relatively normal kids, and you know, throwing some money issues, and there you go. Yeah, I agree. But you, you met Frank in um, in '66. I'm actually wearing my freak out T-shirt. You can't see it, but um, you were part it of. Looks adorable. That, you look adorable. <laughs> can I you just can, know. can you see? <laughs> I can sense it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I met him um, early, you know, before. I mean, he. It, I met him, I think, at just like the perfect time. You know, the mothers were just absolutely taken off. And, yep. um, you know, you, you were part of that freak him. scene, right? Yeah. Kind of, except, I, you know, I don't want to be associated with Carl Franzoni very much. <laughs> or, or, you know, Vito oh, and... Um, I mean, I did hang out with them for a little while, but they're really, I mean, okay, I said I wasn't going to be talking bad about people, but they were some really trashy people. Um, but mm-hmm. at that time, nobody, you know, you know, it was just it's hard to imagine now where, you know, you know everything about everybody and, and you can just go online and find out people's 
criminal history, but, you know, people back then just, you know, it was a much more accepting and everybody's peace and love and, you know, nobody really thought too much about Vito being 70 years old and yeah. having 14-year-old girls in his house. And, um, you know, at, looking back, I just, like, so horrified at them. But, um, yeah, I mean, definitely they went out, and, I mean, I knew all those people, and, and um, I, I actually believe that their association with Frank has been overplayed. Because yeah. who's going to say it wasn't quite that extreme? But you know, it doesn't it doesn't make any difference anyway. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's that. Well, yeah. That association is kind of confined to that time, right? The Freak Out album and right, uh, right. Before before Frank left for New York at at the end of '66, uh, where he was for a while, and then he came back um, back to Laurel Canyon. And you know that all that stuff, but yeah, how long was that before you went up north? I don't know. Quit asking me all. <laughs> no more questions that begin with "Do you remember?" Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I um, when I was, you know, it's amazing how much research I had to do for my own book. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, like um, the only way I can sort, of, I was able to sort of pinpoint the time that Big Brother was in L.A. and, you know, I um, got involved with um, James was, uh, you know, by researching the day that Robert Kennedy died because was killed because I can remember being in um, Barney's Beanery with them uh, when the news came on the television. And so I had to, and then I had to write John Cook and ask him a bunch of questions. And, but I, it, it was like the end of 66 or 67, Wow. See, see, you know, the interesting thing about you not being able to remember those exact details is that the book is so detailed, like it's incredibly detailed. So it's kind of funny, you know, to, <laughs> to hear. I but, mean, it's but I hear you. Know, there's a lot of research. I mean, you, you know, a lot of research went into that book. <laughs> yeah. it, it seems, it's hard to imagine that a memoir takes that much, you know, background work, but it, it really did. I mean, you really should have a movie made out of that book. It's that yes. kind of, you know, cinematic. Well, we, had a, we had a few sniffs, but the, the person that was sort of supposed to be the person is not the person. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, you should actually you should actually have a movie made about your life, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Oh, that, that's <laughs> no kidding. Having man. a movie made of the book would be her life. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um. You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't. The the transition from L.A. to San Francisco is the part that I, I don't remember too well. I don't remember actual move or. Um, I remember where I moved to, and you know, Janice um, had this um, wonderful guy that I talk about a lot in the book, Richard Hunchen, um, yep, yeah. who was like her, her, do everything, her you know, right hand dude, and um, um, I think he found me a place. Um, you know, he found me the place that I ended up moving to, and he just the most incredible human being. He died not too long ago, and you know, he was he just remarkable because he was one of the first people that was um, out. You know, he was um, extremely gay, and mm. and uh, this was way before San Francisco had any kind of you know uh, known right. gay community or anything, and and um, he just uh, a wonderful human being, and. He probably did most of the footwork, you know, for the move. Yeah. 
All right, friends, you have seen the heavy groups. Now you will see Morning Maniac music. Believe me, yeah. It's a new dawn. Yeah, the regular guys. And Nikki Hopkins.
Now, what was it? We mentioned we were talking briefly about Spencer Dryden. For those that don't know, is a rock and roll hall of famer. He passed away. What was it? Oh five, I think. Anyway, I think it was um, yeah, two thousand five. Yeah, he was the Jefferson Airplane drummer. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you were married to him. Now, how did you end up at Woodstock with him? Do you recall much about that? Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, that was actually such a um, a great year. You know, I um, I had gotten together with Spencer, and we were living at the Tiffany Mansion. And um, that that year, it's you know, people they think, how can you not remember every detail about Woodstock? It's just like nobody had any inkling before we got there that it was going to be anything other than just another festival. You know, and that right. summer was the summer of festivals. I mean, we were on the road the whole summer, and we just went from gig to gig to gig, and they were all these really cool outdoor festivals. But, you know, they just one after another. I mean, like every couple of days you'd be in, um, I don't remember all now, but I think Atlanta and Miami and um, or a couple of the ones I remember. And so beforehand, um, or at least if anybody had an inkling of it, it hadn't filtered down to us, you know, um, we didn't, you know, you just don't hear about, you may, you normally you don't hear about stuff like that on the road, like that they're out there building sets and you might, you might hear that the playing thing was relocated, but not, you know, when you watch the movie and, you know, the movies about Woodstock and you see all that pre, um, festival construction and all of that stuff that Michael Lang and, all those people were going through it's um you know it's it's it was just as much of a revelation to me as it anybody yeah. else but wow. um we you know i was just on the road with the band the whole year you know basically 68 69 were just fantastic years for the airplane in terms of playing live and going places and doing things and so you know we just it was just the next gig on the itinerary and you, something happened to you when you were at Woodstock that was not very pleasant, obviously, correct? It was really strange. You know, the day um, uh, started out, you know, kind of summer. It was August, and uh, the weather was really great. And then, and you know, if you see, I'm, I, I have a lot of pictures in my book of the day, you know, Henry Diltz's wonderful yeah. photographs, and you can see that, you know, everybody's in sleeveless stuff that, you know, me and Grace were in, in sleeveless, um, you know, these outfits and stuff and we were no sweaters or coats and somewhere around late in the afternoon, the weather changed really, really badly and, and, uh, um, this bad wind came up and it got really, really cold. But at, when it got dark, I just, um, you know, I got really, really sick. I felt like there's a picture of me that somebody from Look Magazine took and I have these, you know, I can tell that I'm just overcome with fever. My face is all flushed, and um, I just started to feel really, really funky. And um, I don't know what time, but late in the evening, you know, I told Spencer, man, I, I would rather be at the hotel, <laughs> quite frankly. <Yeah. laughs> and I'm probably the only person who wanted to leave Woodstock. <laughs> um, and um, I guess Bill Graham and Spencer got together and, I flew out, you know, and, and, um, yeah, it was, it wasn't, that part wasn't good, but everything else was good, you know. 
that picture with you and Grace, both of you look so beautiful in that picture, by the way. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, <laughs> I just, Henry was, I mean, back then he wasn't called Henry. His name was Tad. And, you know, I don't know oh, if y'all know who he is, but he's the. Sure. Oh, yeah. You know, he was, oh, yeah. We know. He was, you know, a fantastic musician himself. And he just, um, there's something about his sensibilities that, um, you know, just he he got he gets the shot. You know, he's really really a great photographer, and just an excellent excellent class A human being too. Yeah, we're talking to Sally Man Romano, mm -hmm. and we're yes. talking about her book, "The Bands with Me." I love that title. <laughs> it's a great Thank title. You, I know. I don't. I don't know how much uh, Pam likes it, but. <laughs> 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 I interviewed Pam it's, not long. It's so ago. funny. Yeah, my yeah. I did have a pub. Uh, I had this publisher, and we parted ways because I, I, I eventually decided that they didn't have any sense of humor whatsoever, or at least they didn't have my sense of humor. And uh, um, when, one day I was just standing at my kitchen island, and he said, "Well, what are you going to call it?" And, and it just came to my head, and uh, he said, "Oh, that's okay." And so. <laughs> It just popped into my head. I like it. Yeah. I like it quite a bit. It's great. I, I actually interviewed Pam uh, a couple months ago, and she is such a sweet lady. Like, she really, really she is. She really is. She, she really is. And not only that, she's absolutely gorgeous. And, yep. and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, see, but see, you know, you're the same way. You haven't lost anything, you know, with no, the yeah. more recent pictures i've seen oh my god whatever why i'm not on zoom me and grace are absolutely the same way about this it's like yeah that's fine we all we all look just like we did at woodstock and yep. you know no deterioration <laughs> whatsoever on this end and <laughs> no, you, you you've aged very well you you well, don't look you. you don't look anywhere near your age honestly uh-huh. I look I yeah, look <laughs> No. <laughs> no, you've I'm so yeah. glad we don't have those. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's now great. you mentioned you mentioned Bill Graham. Now Bill sent you something with a note that said don't tell Richard Manuel. Can you tell us about uh, that? Oh man, Bill is just you know, he's just a champion in my book. I mean that's somebody that you can get a lot of people to say bad stuff about, but you're not going to get, I mean, I, I love him to death. When yeah. I, um, I went to see, you know, in 1974 and early 1974, um, the band and Bob Dylan went out on the road. Actually, they started in 73 and ended in 74. Yeah. And it was just like the hugest deal <laughs> in the world. It was like mega, um, because they had not played together or toured together in a long time, and it was just the deal, and um, and it was like be there or be square. And in when they came to um, San Francisco, well, they didn't come to San Francisco. They played in Oakland, and um, Bobby Weir and Frankie, Frankie Weir and me, we you know packed up the babies and grabbed the old ladies, and we went to to the gig, and we were um, backstage and. I ended up meeting Richard, and um, I don't even freaking know what the hell happened. But <laughs> we became enamored of one another, and um, the end of the tour was the next gig. Uh, was L.A. was the next gig, and it was Valentine's Day. And, I mean, you know, the stars 
come out. It was it. I mean, it was really one of the coolest shows I've ever been to. And um, so Richard invited me to meet him there, and I was working for the Grateful Dead at the time. And I remember asking McIntyre, you know, it never occurred to me that he would ever say no to me for anything. And I said, John, (laughs) I want to go to L.A. and meet Richard and go to the show and everything. He goes, no. And I'm like, what the fuck? Are you crazy? I said, well, I'm going. So, you know, anyway, thanks. And um, so, anyway, I went down to um, L.A. and the show was the show. And um, you can imagine backstage was something, you know. Yeah. It was it was really gorgeous. And uh, Bill had had these um, massive bouquets of flowers delivered to um, all of the band's uh, wives. And Bob, and, uh, uh, Bob was still with Sarah at that time, and Sarah. And, and with two days' notice, you know, that we were, I don't even know how he knew we were together. He had sent me this giant bouquet of yellow roses for Texas. And, you know, with this little note, don't tell Richard, which I'm sure everybody's bouquet probably had that same note. But, I mean, it just, you know, he's just the guy, the the guy for the grand gesture. If you want a grand gesture, that's who you call, you know. Yeah. Yeah. um, An amazing, amazing, amazing man. Not always pleasant, but yeah. you know, you 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 figure out how not to run afoul of Bill Graham is is yeah. the key. You saw Marlena Dietrich with Bill Graham and oh somewhere. my god, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, he um, he arranged uh, excursion. Uh, Marlena Dietrich was um, I, I'm not sure if this was her last tour ever, but it she was in her 80s. She was well into her 80s. And um, uh, she was on the road mostly with Burt Bacharach, although Burt Bacharach, I don't think, was there that night. Um, but anyway, she was playing at the the Fairmount the Fairmount Room, and Bill put together this this uh, you know this trip for uh, um, I guess the bands were on the road. I think the New Riders and the uh, the Dead must have been on the road because it was. Me and Frankie and um, Herbie Green, another ace for photographer, and uh, yeah, Marushka, yeah. who he was married to at the time. And Marushka was uh, Bill Graham's secretary at the time. And yeah. um, some other folks that worked for Bill, and I can't remember everybody, but um, to go see Marlena Dietrich at the Fairmont Room. And let me tell you something. That's something. That's an experience that you, you really would have liked to have had. I mean, it, it was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, I wish Bill I. Bill was like he died and went to heaven. Yeah, you know he, um, you know he comes from from Eastern Europe and, um, you know he's just totally into that thing and that whole deal and and she, you know she, she's a cut an amazing figure. I got to tell you, man, <laughs> didn't matter if she was hundred and eighty, she wow. she knew what she was doing. Oh, that's great. Yeah, see that the you know, it's typical Bill Graham. I mean, he didn't do things halfway, did he? No. Oh man, you know, the whole like uh when I had Richard and I hadn't been together for very long. Uh, we got together in um as I well, you know, sort of decided to move down with him on on Valentine's Day, which was February, and his birthday is early in April. So less than 2 months later, um um 
I put together this dinner party for him for his birthday. We're in Malibu, and I wanted Bill to come. And, you know, he's he's not exactly idle. I mean, he has shit going on. And sure. um, he flew into the front of our beach in his helicopter, which now is, you know, has kind of set a poignant. But he flew down from San Francisco just to make it, just to be there for Richard's birthday. And, um, you know, <clears throat> landing his helicopter on the beach in Malibu, I mean, you know, it it's a track. And, you know, the way I live now, you know, I'm out in the sticks of this freaking hut. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> holy cow, did that really happen, you know? Um, but it, it really did happen, and um, he, he's quite the guy.
Would you tell us about Richard a little bit, Sally? Oh, God. You know, he was a mess. Um, he just was a mess, but he was just so insanely talented, you know. Um, I don't know why I'm just drawn to these freaking walking wrecks, you know. <laughs> um, he just totally fucked up out of his mind. All You know, but see, the thing that's so um, hard to understand is, like, back in the early sort of development of the whole music, you know, what I consider the music industry that started in the 60s and everything. And so it was sort of like this divide um, between the West Coast and the East Coast. And, and you know, if you didn't cross paths at a festival or something like that, you really didn't know, unless you made it your business, your business you, know, you know, a lot about other, you know, some of these people. And, I mean, I didn't know anything. I knew Bob Dylan because I met him. He was on the West Coast quite a bit. But I I didn't know anything about the band's history or who they were as people. Or You know, I knew they were a great band and everybody really loved them, but I didn't know anything about their personalities or problems or anything like that. And, um, you know, I didn't know about their whole sort of, you know, some of their history with heroin and that sort of thing. Um, but when, uh, you know, for this tour, like, I learned later, you know, that it was a huge deal for um, the members of the band who had problems, drug problems, uh, they were gotten ready for tours. You know, you weren't going to be going out on the biggest tour of your life strung out on smack, you know. Yeah. Um, and like with most heroin addicts, when you don't do, when you're, it, unless you get actually get sober, when you're not doing heroin, you're drinking alcoholically. It's just just the way it is. And you know, you you really in this era never saw Richard without a bottle of Grand Marnier in his hand. And but I mean, that doesn't do him justice because he was, you know, a lot like Spencer, just one of the sweetest, kindest. And and you know, I think something that doesn't people don't remember about him so much is he just freaking insanely funny and he could you know he'd be like passed out um you know falling asleep in front of the tv drunken into a stupor and he'd come to and see something on the television and just make the most incredibly funny remark and he he just um you know basically very easy going you know i think the whole time i was ever with him I don't ever remember having a crossword with him. Um, he just kind of, you know, he just was, um, you know, his tragedy was just his addiction. You know, he's just an alcoholic and um, heroin addict, and um, you know, it's just a sad. It's a it's a sad thing. Yeah, it's just that that's the nature of the beast. You know. Sure. Well, he walked the line for a very long time, and uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know how anybody could have even have made it as far as he did, honestly, to, you know, the stories that you're in. When I see, when I see, you know, when we, when his, um, when I, I didn't know this either, but when I got together with him, his wife was back in Woodstock pregnant, and I had no idea, but um, when the baby was born and she, uh, oh, it's just a freaking saga, man, a soap opera thing, but it sounds so bizarre now, she decided that maybe she wanted him after all, and <laughs> came to Malibu and, you know, moved into the colony. And uh, we lived in Trancas. Uh, and um, anyway, when he, um, I, I 
made this decision after a while, after she had done that, to go back up to San Francisco. But, you know, he still looked the way he looked. You know, he looked like Richard, you know. And when I see those photographs of him from the 70s, um, from the late 70s, and, you know, I'm just like, holy cow. You know, I just can't even believe how emaciated he was. And, you know, and he didn't do cocaine. um, But, you know, if you want a drug that'll take you out quick, just go ahead and have some coke, you know. Um, um, And, I mean, it's just freaky. And, and, you know, the same with Rick to some extent, although the other way, Rick gained weight and he looked horrible too. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people talk so badly about Robbie. um, But I think of Robbie in a different way, and I I could be 100% wrong, but when I think about, I think of a lot of things that Robbie did, he did to protect himself from from that, from that, yeah, you know, from the heroin and the the alcoholic stuff, and and I mean, you know, to some extent, you've got to insulate yourself against that stuff, or it will get on you. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just the way it is. Yeah, and you don't even realize that it's just one day you're there, you know. Yeah, oh, I mean, and, that's what happened to me, you know. I mean, it just, um, you know, in San Francisco at that time, although it happened later. But, you know, nobody was doing heroin with the Grateful Dead or anything like that. It would be people would look at you like you were insane if you even suggested such a thing. And, um, you know, um, and at this time, it's interesting, you know, Levon had um, come full circle. He was he had been um, had a heroin problem and cleaned up. And and that that was way, way, way in the rear view, you know, and and. uh, but it, it just considered to ple- it continued to plague Rick and Richard for much longer, but Richard way more so than anyone else. So more so than Rick, even more so than who? Uh, Rick. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Well, cause... you know, Rick had the advantage of uh, he was married to a woman named Elizabeth at that time, Elizabeth Danko, and she's a pretty strong person. And I think uh, his family, you know, having the kids and. And Elizabeth, maybe that helped him a little bit. I don't know, you know. Yeah, I mean. But he never seemed to be as bad off as Richard. And, and you know, I write about this in the, my book, and it's funny to a certain extent, but it it's not very funny. But, you know, it doesn't help when these dealers from Toronto move to freaking Malibu yep. for one customer, <laughs> oh Richard God. Manuel. They yep. moved all the way from Canada to bring heroin to Richard Mann. I mean, you know, to be that's his insane. dealer. I mean, wow. that's a pretty serious habit when you can support a whole enterprise single-handedly, you know. There are, to, you know, yeah. I, I, it's impressive in a bizarre mind. sort of way, you know. <laughs> I mean, who does that? <laughs> well, you know? give, give well, Richard's, in, Richard's in Zanzibar now. Let's go there, you know. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It is, so, I mean, it just blows my mind, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, couldn't couldn't be for anybody else. It had to be him. So, but you know, the main thing about Richard is, you know, there's just I'd be hard pressed to name anybody who was as talented, um, you know. And it wouldn't uh, when we were together in Malibu they, uh, in this little lull after the Bob Dylan tour. Um, you know, they weren't working, and we were kind of, it, you know, it was really cool. They didn't have to do a bunch of stuff. He can rest. And Libby Titus, who was with Levon at the time, who yep. I don't know who she, if you know who she is, but she's an incredible singer and oh, yeah. uh, sure do. songwriter. And she would come down to the house, and it wouldn't matter how much 
Richard had had to drink or anything, you know, when he sat down, they would mess around on the piano and stuff, and it it, it just didn't matter. When he sat down, he played, you know. Yeah. He just he sat down and played, you know. He could he could turn it on, you know, just put him. Well, in the only time I saw that that wasn't the case is that uh, there's a little episode in my book that I write about with Joe Cocker. Yeah. That, you know, they just the combined. <laughs> alcoholic factor of those two it was just too much for the room you know it just blew it just kind of it, it, it metastasized you know oh my God. that's, that's the only time i can remember that he could he actually did not play you know he just was too fucked up you know yeah <laughs> even even he can get that you know like, yeah it's terrible but anyway i mean when i i think about him killing himself it's just a horrible just just absolute bummer of life you know yeah uh, on the road especially you know i mean what no, do you do with that? It's just, i have a you know i write other kinds of things too and i uh, back in the maybe the mid 80s or so i'd gone back to college to um go to law school and and uh, was majored in creative writing and i i just for a little time before that i had just felt like i had heard about richard's I don't remember the timeline, but I don't know if, I guess I knew he had killed himself by then or something, but it, I, I just felt like he was just haunting me. And yeah. I um, just carrying this image of him in that bathroom around in my head. I don't even want to talk about it now because I'll just break down. But yeah. um, I finally just had to write about it. You know, I uh, wrote a poem about it and um, kind of got on the other side of it. But just, uh, you know, when you think about the amount of despair that a human being has to be in to go into a bathroom and put a belt around their neck. You know, yeah. it's just heartbreaking. It's just beyond heartbreaking. Heartbreaking is a good word. It's just, you know, shattering. Um, I hate to think of him in that moment, but, you know, I don't think about him like that too much anymore. I think about him when he was, you know, in better better days. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that tragic life, you know, gave him that, those heartbreak, you know, that heartbreaking voice of his, you know, I know, and, but you know, the thing is, is he lost his voice. He did. You know, yeah. I mean, when you, when, uh, or, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but if you go on YouTube very much and see these, these videos of him singing in clubs, I mean, you could see how much he lost, you know, of his, yeah. of his high register. And, um, you know, he kind of drank his voice, um, away, but yes, but definitely the pathos and the emo the emotional quality and the soul, you know, that's definitely true, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can only do it for so long. I mean, Garcia is another example of that. He sort of smoked his voice up, but he had a very oh, sense. I don't even that just I'm still I'm so furious. I, I can't get over that. I'm sorry. I'm just furious. I, I'm, yeah. I've got I'm, I try to get past being mad at him, but I just can't. I'm just I'm just in a state of rage about it still. You know, I, and I mean, that's not fair because I, I more than anybody should know how um, it's not, um, you know, it's not intentional. You know, it's not something, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I got strung out on junk? You know, yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't work like that, but I, I can't get over it, you know.
And that's our show. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Your hosts were Jack Lekensky, Johnny Hudson, and Scott Parker. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast has a Facebook page where you can catch up on all the latest Woodstock hullabaloo. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast is not affiliated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its individual partners or entities. On behalf of Jack Lekensky and Johnny Hudson, this is Scott Parker saying thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.